Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 438 with Sandy Rogers. Sandy has towering expertise when it comes to loyalty and what it takes to earn it from your colleagues, from your customers, from all the humans that you interact with. You'll learn, one, the three core loyalty principles of responsibility, empathy, and generosity. Two, how indifference can destroy loyalty. And three, the importance of weekly team huddles for reinforcing new behaviors. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F438. Now here's Sandy's story. Sandy Rogers is the leader of Franklin Covey's loyalty practice. He was previously senior vice president enterprise rent a car. And during his 14 years there, Sandy managed the turnaround of the London, England operation and led the teams that developed enterprises, marketing strategy and system for improving customer service across all branches. Before enterprise, Sandy worked in marketing at Apple and at Procter and Gamble. He's a graduate of Duke and Harvard business school. So thanks to Sandy for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Sandy. Sandy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete. Thrilled to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to chat with you. And you've got many claims to fame in your life. The one I thought was most interesting off the top of my head was that you led the teams that came up with the legendary Pick Enterprise, we'll pick you up slogan. What is the backstory here? Oh, my gosh. Well, I had the great fortune of spending most of my career at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I actually left Apple Computer to go work with Jack Taylor at Enterprise. And one of my early jobs was to lead the marketing part of the business. The idea of picking customers up came from one of our local general managers. And Jack Taylor, the founder of Enterprise, when he first heard it, thought, well, that sounds crazy. I don't know how you're going to be able to pick people up. But sure enough, in true enterprise fashion, Jack empowered the, the local teams to go run experiments, try it, figure it out, perfect it. The idea of pickup then spread across the organization. And so when I came in as the marketing guy, we were looking for a way to share a message that would get people's attention. And there was a lot of push to talk about our friendly service and our great employees. But back then, other car rental companies were talking about their great service. Mm -hmm. so they got O.J. Simpson running through airports. And Avis was talking about, we try harder. And so I thought, talking about service, the way to prove you have great service is actually to deliver great service, but not brag about it. And so instead, we did some research and we looked for things that nobody was talking about. So you need something that's unique, but we also wanted something that customers felt was really important. 
And in all the different things we tested, pickup jumped to the top of the list because nobody was talking about pickup in the car rental industry. And when consumers heard, you'll pick me up, it was a great message. And so we started with that pick enterprise, we'll pick you up. We worked with a terrific ad agency in New York and created that commercial with a brown paper wrapper car. And it became a very memorable way to communicate this wonderful service enterprise still provides today. That's right. And so, and I'm curious, like, what proportion of customers end up actually requesting to be picked up? Oh my gosh, I've been out of the business for 12 years, so I don't, I don't have the latest. <laughs> I'll grill you with hard data questions <laughs> at the top of the interview, well, Sandy. But a lot of them do. I mean, a lot of people, Enterprise started in the home city car rental market. So when people had an accident or they brought their car into the dealership for service, Enterprise was the only player in town who would pick you up and bring you back to the branch and get you into a car. That's handy. I've done it before. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I hope yeah. you had a good experience, Pete. It was. It was very pleasant. Thank you. Cool. All right. So that's the, the history of, of Sandy Rogers. But let's talk about some of the, the current stuff. You've got uh, a book, Leading Loyalty. I, I want to hear, as you're putting this together, what was maybe the most surprising and fascinating thing that you discovered as you were executing this? We have worked with a wide range of organizations. I mean, small, big. And what really surprised me is these principles that we have uncovered through all the research we've done about empathy, responsibility, and generosity, that these principles are not only applicable in earning the loyalty of our customers, and everybody wants fierce customer loyalty, but they're also the exact same principles we need to earn the loyalty of our coworkers, our colleagues, our family, mm -hmm. our friends, our kids, our spouse. And so it, it, the deeper we got into this and the more stories we heard, these principles are, are applicable to earning the fierce loyalty of every important person in our lives. Mm -hmm. Let's review. We got the empathy, responsibility, and what? And generosity is the third one. Okay. And principles are like gravity. I mean, they're, they're irrefutable. I mean, they act on you whether you agree with them or not. And so if you don't obey these principles of loyalty, you're not going to earn the loyalty of other people. I mean, there's no shortcuts. And sure, people talk about frequent flyer miles and discounts and, and point programs. But Pete, we're talking about the loyalty that's fueled in the heart. It's when you tell your friends, oh, I got to tell you the story about this thing. It was unbelievable. It, it's that heartfelt emotional connection that, that we're trying to fuel with this book. Well, so I, I dig that. Well, could you share with us maybe a, a story? You've got some heartfelt tales that you've collected and you're doing your research and, and talking to folks that maybe so I can get a, a picture of you of a, a loyalty transformation. We had some a lack of empathy, responsibility, generosity and loyalty. And then uh, we saw things turn around. So, Pete, I was with the CEO of a large baby retail chain. And we were talking about empathy and he stopped me. He said, Sandy, I, I got to tell you a story. You may have heard it because it's been all over the internet. This man comes into one of our stores. He's carrying a load of unopened baby items. And he explains to our team that he and his wife have just experienced a miscarriage. And our team told him, sir, I'm so sorry about that. But without a receipt, you can't return these items. And the CEO just covered his face. He said, Sandy, I, I don't know how I could have possibly allowed a policy like needing a receipt get in the way of doing the obvious human thing for this poor man. And you know what's interesting about this story, Pete? You know, two years later, this chain went bankrupt. I mean, they closed all of their stores. And, you know, they certainly had their financial challenges. I don't know if it was from a lack of showing empathy, but I do know this. 
to earn the fierce loyalty of our customers, we have got to have empathy for them. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. And, and boy, that really is an illustration in terms of at what point are your policies ironclad? I mean, every policy needs to have a breaking point somewhere yes. below yes. this extreme, you know? So let me tell you one where we had a policy at Enterprise that was ironclad, okay? Do you remember where you were on 9-11? I do. I, I was in my, my senior AP rhetoric class with Mrs. Judy Fettermeyer <laughs> when we got the word. And I was like, what? Yeah. It was just, it's one of those moments. I, I was at the uh, headquarters at, at Enterprise in St. Louis. Can you imagine what it was like at an airport rental branch that day? All the planes are grounded at the Dulles Airport branch in Washington, D.C. Our branch manager has a branch that is teeming with people desperate to get home. All of our competitor car rental companies at Dulles Airport had closed and their managers had gone home, you know, check on their family and everything. But our manager decided to stay open and he couldn't reach anybody on the phone because all the phone lines were jammed. And we had a policy, a firm ironclad policy back then, no one-way rentals. If you rented a car at the Dulles Airport branch, you had to bring it back to that enterprise branch. Pete couldn't reach anybody. He, he gets on a chair and stands up in front of this huge crowd of people. And he said, hey, everybody, can, can I please get your attention? This gentleman here is going to Atlanta. Is there anybody else here that needs to go towards Atlanta in that direction? Hey, you all, please take this car. I've opened up a soda machine. Help yourself to a soda and a snack. Take the car. Get yourselves home safely. I'll figure out how to get my car back. He said, ma'am, where are you going? You're going to St. Louis. Okay. Who else here needs to go west towards St. Louis? Please take this car. Get yourselves home safely. I'll figure out how to get my car back later. This branch manager, Pete, scattered his cars to the winds. He, he sent them all over the country. He completely violated our policy about no one-way rentals. And when we heard this story three days later, the founder and the CEO and the whole senior leadership team at Enterprise was never more proud. Because although this team had completely violated all of our policies, they did exactly what our customer mission is all about. They showed incredible empathy for these customers. They took responsibility for the real job, which was to get them home to their families. They were incredibly generous because imagine the cost of getting all these cars back. But we were never more proud. And so when I think about this story, are the people in your organization, whether you're in a small two-person shop or a large company, are you given the ability to be empathetic with your customers? to take responsibility for their real needs, to be generous. Because this is the secret, not just to customer loyalty. This is the way we earn fierce employee loyalty. Oh, that's powerful. Thank you. We started measuring customer service at Enterprise around 1994, about the same time that we were doing the research on what to advertise with pickup. And because we knew that to, to grow the business faster, customers had to walk away with a, you know, with a feeling that, wow, I, I love this place. Jack Taylor the founder of Enterprise said, it's simple. When people walk out of our branches, they've got to feel like this is one of the best experiences I've ever had. So in order to deliver great service, we decided we had to measure it. When we first started measuring service in 1994, Enterprise, we were pretty good overall, but there was huge variation across the chain. And that's often the challenge with organizations. I mean, you always have people, there's pockets of greatness, but you see inconsistency, you know, from one location or one team to another. Um, and so we told everybody, this is the, one of the most important things. Our mission's built on customer service. 
you know, let's get busy and improve it. And over the next two years, we had 0% improvement. Everybody was focused mm-hmm. on doing what they always did, which was running a great business. And, and then Jack Taylor, the, the founder, inspired everybody and said, no, I'm really serious about this. And so after this, this meeting we had in 1996, from that point forward, the decision was made not to promote anyone whose customer service score was below the company average. And that, Pete, changed everything. Over there you the go. Next <laughs> 10 years, all of a sudden now, everybody had skin in the game. It, you know, we had a metric that clearly identified who needed to get better. And um, by not promoting the, the below average performers, over the next 10 years, Enterprise went from delighting 67% of its customers to 80% of its customers. And that variation I talked about across the chain went from 28 points to less than 12 points. Mm-hmm. Company sales in this 10-year period tripled from two to $7 billion. And Andy Taylor, the CEO at the time, attributed this to, this was the profound dedication and impact of improving our service across the whole chain. Fred Reichelt at Bain created the net promoter score based on this story that I just shared at Enterprise. You know what? I worked at Bain. I have done a case at Bain using the net promoter score. I think I even read the book, the ultimate question. Yes. Chapter four in the ultimate question is this story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, well, fun fact, cool beans. So there we have it. We made a commitment. This was how it's going to be. You can't get promoted if you're below average. And we ha- saw tremendous results in terms of people more satisfied, revenues growing. So that that's really cool in terms of we got a transformation. And then I'm imagining then in, in terms of, of what constitutes a great customer service and great customer experience, there were some particular practices that invoked some more empathy, responsibility, and and generosity from the staff. No question. And so by unleashing our teams to go out and be creative and to figure out how are we going to make more of our customers happy? How are we going to make our operation more consistently excellent? These wonderful ideas spread from the bottom up and enterprise had tremendous success. But Pete, we've worked with a wide range of organizations over the last 15 years. And these principles hold true in every case. The the customer has to feel like you have empathy for me, that you've taken the time to understand my hidden story, that you've taken responsibility for the real job I'm trying to get done, not just selling me your stuff, but you've taken the time to really understand what I'm actually trying to do or accomplish. And three, they treat us with generosity in terms of the time it takes for us to do business with the firm. They respect us. And so those are the principles that that we bring to life because we think they're essential in every business, whether it's a a small bakery or it's a large conglomerate. Well, so I'd love to now talk about some of the specific practices then for human beings. We're we're working with each other. We're trying to facilitate some more loyalty, whether that's with uh, an external customer, an internal customer, a, a colleague, a a friend, collaborator. Uh, what are some of the, the key ways that you, you go about doing empathy, doing responsibility, doing generosity? The first step is we've got to adopt a loyalty leader mindset. I mean, our mindset affects our behavior. And so we choose to be a leader. It, it's not what's on our name tag. You know, you're a leader. If you look over your shoulder, you see people following you. So this idea that, well, no, this is something my boss has to do or the CEO has to sign off on. No, Everybody in the organization from the bottom to the top has to choose to be a loyalty leader and take personal responsibility for living these principles more often. All right. Let's drill down into empathy. So the first one is empathy. And empathy is our ability to, you know, to identify with and understand other people's situation or feelings. And we know what it means. 
Now, everybody has empathy. You don't have to teach it. I mean, if you see somebody poked with a needle, you know, we, we flinch. It's like, oh. But so why don't we see more of it in, in the workplace and our everyday interactions? Well, we, we've got to talk about it and we got to get into the, the practices. So the first practice in showing empathy is to make a genuine human connection. Okay. And so often what we get from the companies we do business with, it's not a genuine connection. It's some kind of scripted thing that they've been taught to, to read to me on the phone after I've waited 15 minutes on hold to simply tell the cable company that my internet's not working and I've got an interview coming up and could you please fix it? I don't <laughs> want to hear the script. I don't want to hear the fake uh-huh. empathy because I know it's, a, I know it's a, a script they're reading to me. Yes. And, and so we talk about making a genuine connection. Even if you're the third person in line and I'm the host at a restaurant and you just want to put your name down for a table, just with eye contact, I can let you know I see you. You know, I care about you. I mean, I can give you the feeling that I'm going to take care of you. I'm so sorry you're having to wait. And, and once we make that connection, the next practice is I've got to listen to learn the story. So we all have a hidden story. And sometimes the hidden story is obvious. I mean, if if we're driving down the road and we see a, a lady standing with her small children by a car with a hood open and steam coming out, and we get the story in a glance, right? We know what's going on. But so often, people will come into our workplace, whether they're a customer or a coworker, and they've got a story that's hidden from view. And for us to have empathy for that person, we're going to have to genuinely connect so they know that it's not just a fake, hey, what's up, when you know I don't really want the answer. But no, I, what really? What's going on? How are you? And then I, I got to take the turn to time to actually listen to their hidden story. That's good. And I got to listen not just with my ears. I've got to listen with my eyes and with my heart, too. I, I love the Chinese character for listen. It contains the symbols for all three ears, eyes and heart. You know, the deepest need of the human hearts to be understood. I mean, how good does it feel when people really get you? So that's the idea. You can't have empathy if you don't know my story, and you're not going to hear my story unless I believe you're genuine and you actually are listening to me. Well, Sandy, I'd love to get your take from the the human experience of, all right, you're busy, you got a lot of things going on, you want to be empathetic, but you could just forget in the hustle and bustle and the taking care of business and your metrics and KPIs and hustling to the next thing because there's a fire to put out. But there, there's humans in your midst. How, how do you recommend folks kind of center, ground, reorient their brains and their ways of being to really empathize with folks in that moment? And that's what's so hard about this, because what we're talking about here is common sense. And people say, yeah, I learned this stuff in kindergarten. And and you did. And hopefully it's ingrained in your psyche, these principles that start with empathy. But just because it's common sense, unfortunately, it's not common practice. And, And the reason it's not in so many of our interactions is we're busy. You know, mm-hmm. we've got revenue targets, expense reduction goals. I got a list of stuff I got to get done by five o'clock today. And so in the whirlwind of our busy daily lives, we lose sight of the power of these simple practices that we're teaching in this book. And so we're teaching people things that they already know, but we're asking them to talk about them for 15 minutes a week in a little huddle. The team comes together and in those huddles, they, the most important thing you do is you celebrate the people on the team that are doing what you talked about last week. You know, so last week we talked about listening to learn the hidden story. 
I got to tell this quick story about Pete. And, and you know, it's fun and people laugh and we high five and that's amazing. And, and then we talk about the next principle or practice and how do we actually apply that in the work we do here? You know, it's easy to talk about this stuff in theory, but yeah, how am I supposed to be generous to these customers that are yelling at me all day, right? So we talk about it and then we each make a commitment to go apply this and come back next week so we can celebrate what worked and talk about what didn't work. And we don't have to have all the answers. We're just going to create space in the whirlwind of our busy lives to talk about the things that actually make a difference to how we're feeling when we leave work every day. That's great. And I'm sure that everyone's context is a little bit different. And by making that time, you'll come up with the the particulars that seem to be really effective in those realms. I'd love to hear when it comes to asking the questions, have you found that there are some particularly useful, valuable questions in, in building up the empathy? Well, sure. What brings you in today? What's going on? Open-ended questions, not yes-no questions. I mean, the, the classic yes-no question is that, you know, the the weight person who comes over, everything okay? You know, it's just like, <laughs> you know, or how about you're checking out at the grocery store, you know, find everything. And the checker has their eyes on the work and doesn't really listen to your answer about whether you found everything at the grocery store that day. No, you've got to ask questions and then leave space. And oftentimes, you know, ask again. For example, one of the best ways that companies can improve their service don't wait for the survey to come. Ask people walking out the door, you know, what if anything could we have done to better serve you today? You know, I'm Sandy. I'm the manager. I'd love to know. No, really, I'm serious. Anything. Was there anything we could have done better? And when people understand that he's serious, he's sincere, I mean, he actually wants to hear, then you get into a conversation and you can learn their story. You can also learn about how to fix your business right now if there's any issues rather than hearing about it or reading about it in a, a bad uh, Yelp post um, in a couple hours from now. That's good. Okay. So we talked about empathy. How about responsibility? So once you've taken the time to understand my hidden story, I mean, you, you know how I'm feeling. Now we've got to take responsibility for helping people succeed to reach their goals. And with responsibility, there are two practices. As I mentioned earlier, first, we've got to discover the real job to be done. Now, what does that mean? Clayton Christensen at Harvard Business School writes that people hire products and services to do a specific job for them. You know, people are hiring your podcast to do a specific job for them, right? Mm -hmm. And I hope we're nailing it. (laughs) And I think you are. So, you know, a guy comes into a hardware store. I'm looking for a wrench. Oh, they're right over in aisle 14. That's not taking responsibility. No, instead, come with me. Mm -hmm. The wrenches are this way. What are you working on? Well, I got this old fence in my backyard, and there's these rusty nuts and bolts I got to pull out so I can get rid of the fence. Well, do they look like any of these? Yeah, they look like uh, those hexagonal ones right over there. Oh, sir, to grip the rusty edges of those nuts so you can pull the bolts out and get rid of your fence, you're going to need a set of box wrenches. This should do the trick. You see, Pete, that's taking responsibility for the real job getting rid mm-hmm. of a fence. It, it's not to sell the guy a wrench. Yeah, I find that that's so handy. But I, I think that I've, I've often had that situation where maybe I'm, I'm just sort of thinking about all novel things or, or outside the box sorts of things. It just seems like I'm often asking for something that's not exactly what they, people do. Like, oh, I want a CRM, but I don't really want to sell anything to people using this software. I, I'm just looking to keep better track of ABC. And then and folks are just sort of, um, I guess, perplexed. Like, oh, well, um, well, it's not really 
well, let me show you the cool features we have. <laughs> it's, of course. It's, it's sort of like, uh, oh, okay, well, I, I guess I, I could look at those, but that's not really you know, what I'm most interested in. And so I guess I have those exchanges frequently uh, on sort of like the, the customer side of things. So, so I dig it in terms of like, what are you trying to accomplish? I think that's one of the best questions ever. Exactly. Uh, in terms of, you know, as, hey, as a consultant, if you're trying to, to crack a case uh, for a client, or if, uh, as a coach, if you're trying to help someone because they, they have one specific question, you ask, take a step back and ask, what are you trying to accomplish? And then it, it opens up everything. Or, or just as, as a worker getting an assignment and getting better clarity about what we're really going after. So that's a, that's a great question in terms of, being able to to surface the responsibility and, and and do it all the better. Any other favorite questions there? Well, and just and, and that's such an important question. You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And and then lead with a need. So before we jump into, oh my gosh, let me tell you about our CRM system and all the bells and whistles. <laughs> lead with their need. So let's take an example. You know, you go into a store and you're looking for, uh, you know, a treadmill or something. <laughs> if I've taken the time to really understand why you're buying a treadmill or why you've come for that. You know, I can lead with a need. So, Pete, to help you do well in the upcoming half marathon that you're going to be doing with your team, this elliptical machine, I think, makes the most sense given some knee trouble you've had. Or this comfortable pair of running shoes should fit the bill. But it takes discipline to not just sell our products, which, of course, we're excited about. And, you know, sales are good. But if we want to earn the fierce loyalty of our customers, we'll take the time to not only understand how they're feeling so we can have some empathy, but we can take responsibility for what is this guy really trying to accomplish? And I'm curious, so if, if someone is not too communicative, like need a treadmill, you know, he's like, okay, <laughs> oh, great. What makes you interested in a, in a treadmill today? I don't know. Are, do you have any tips for, for those who are almost like a seek and destroy, get in, get out? mode, whether it's a colleague or, or a customer, any tips for slowing it down and, and, and getting the real stuff? It's got to be conversational. It's got to be natural. It can't look like, you know, some script or some spiel that you're, that you're spilling out. It's just, Hey, t I mean, t talk to me. I mean, what, what's, what's, I want to help you. I, you know, I want to get you the treadmill you're looking for. What, what's going on? What brings you here? Why a mm -hmm. treadmill now? And when people are, are trying to figure out, is this a genuine inquiry here? I mean, can I, should I, bother to spend time and actually tell this person my story. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're sincere, they'll actually tell you. Well, one of the stories we heard is somebody comes into a store and I'm, I'm looking for shoelaces. Why do you want shoelaces? I mean, it seems obvious, you know, to replace the laces in my shoes. But yeah. it turned out this person actually wanted shoelaces to tie the birdcage to the, to the roof of their car. Now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an odd uh, mission, but just in understanding that, you know, it's an opportunity to teach this person about bungee cords and uh, yeah. other solutions besides shoelaces to tie down bird cages. Oh, I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. Certainly. Okay. Well, so then let's hear about uh, the, the third key, the generosity. Well, and so at the end of responsibility, not only do we have to discover the job, but then we got to follow up, you know, how did that go? And if there's problems, one of the most powerful ways we can earn loyalty is to take responsibility for any problem somebody has. And we teach people what we call the five A's. We gotta assume that the person has good intent. So imagine you're dealing with an angry customer. You know, if you're gonna turn that detractor into a promoter, you gotta first assume that their intent is good. They're not here to rip us off. We gotta align with their emotions, get on the same side of the table. We need to apologize with no defensiveness whatsoever. We got to ask, what can I do to make this right for you and, and assure them of what I'm going to do and do it. And, and we, so we practice these five A's. We talk about it. 
But getting good at follow-up is core to responsibility and earning the, the loyalty everybody wants. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now well, I got empathy and responsibility. Sorry, Pete, go ahead. Oh, oh sure thing. And so that's sort of, if, if they're coming in to you in, in terms of their, they're saying, hey, th th this thing went wrong. Well, and we don't want to wait and find yeah. out. I mean, when I was running the London, England operation for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, I would get some pushback from our branch managers that had low customer service scores and weren't getting promoted. And they said, well, how am I supposed to know how to get better? I'm only getting 25 surveys a month. And I said, well, hold on. How many renters do you see every month in your branch? Oh, you know, 700 to 1,000. Well, what would prevent you from asking as many as you want? What could we be doing to better serve you? How did your rental go? I'd, I'd love to know. You could get 1,000 surveys a month if you want them. And rather than waiting for the results, you could fix whatever issue you've got today before it affects other customers. And, and it's not just the negative. Now, here's the positive. You will find out in most cases that the rental was great. And, you know, Susie did an amazing job. Imagine how it's going to feel to Susie to be able to go back into the branch and say, I just want to let you know, you blew those guys' socks off. They just loved what you did for them. Susie, great job. Yeah. <laughs> and that's also your opportunity to be like, thanks so much. If you could share that on the official survey, <laughs> that'd oh, be great. <laughs> now, that is... Now, I'll tell you one thing. At Enterprise, if you do that, you will get fired. Okay. <laughs> and that, you know, I know that doesn't always happen at the car dealers where, you know, they badger us to give the high scores. But early on, Andy Taylor and his leadership team made the decision that if you talk about the survey or talk about top box and all that stuff, we're going to treat it like taking cash out of the cash box because it completely undermines the customer's confidence that we actually care about customer service. Oh, oh absolutely. If you say, like, I, I'm thinking about the Uber driver, give me a five-star rating. It's like, <laughs> you don't get to, no, I, I gave you the star rating that, that you deserve. Right. But I, I, well, I just intrigued here, but, but it's also inappropriate to, if someone says, hey, this was awesome. And they'd say, hey, thank you. you know, if you'd like to share on the survey, that'd be, we'd appreciate it. That's also forbidden. Yes. You know what? Just say, thank you. That's great. Tell your friends, <laughs> you know, leave it at that. But, but don't mention the survey, right? Okay. Well, I think that that's a useful distinction yeah. because uh, many are, are tempted or inclined to do exactly that. Well, then it just tells the customer that, well, this guy really just cares about his survey results. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, if you had a great experience, Pete, please tell your friends. I mean, we'd love to serve them too. Okay, cool. Gotcha. All right. So then you were going to say some more about generosity? Yeah. So we've got empathy, responsibility, and the third core principle for earning loyalty is generosity. Now, look, generosity is giving from our heart more than is necessary or people expect. It's, it's kindness. And to be generous with other people, there are two practices. We need to share our insights openly, generously share our thoughts, feelings, knowledge, concerns, and we need to surprise people in unexpected ways. And so we've got, you know, we have a chapter on each of these things, on generosity, then sharing insights, and then surprising with unexpected extras. Because th those two things have to occur in order for me to feel like you're being generous with me and, and my time. And so now, can you give some examples of insights? Sure. Well, we share insights with our customers all the time. You know, imagine you go into a store and you're looking for a, a speaker for your TV so you can have better surround sound. And you're awed by the beautiful display and you find one and you take it to the register. And the, the woman working at the register says, well, does your TV support Bluetooth? And you say, well, actually, I don't know. Well, what kind of TV do you have? Ah, sir, for, for your TV, uh, that speaker's not going to work. You're going to need a little wireless transmitter. It doesn't cost hardly anything. Let me get it for you. 
Mm-hmm. See, that's incredibly generous, sharing insights. It's, it's reducing the effort that you're going to go through to get surround sound to work with your TV. Now, that, that cashier could have done that or not. It was incredibly generous that she chose to spend an extra 10 seconds and, and help you out. That's good. But we share insights with each other, too. You know, you and I may be coworkers in a business, and you notice I have some opportunities to be more effective in how I'm working with our customers. But today, you know, we have a lot of confidence about sharing our feedback with our thumbs online. But we want to make sure that our millennials and Generation Z has the same confidence providing feedback face-to-face. And so we, we talk a lot about that in the book, too, and how to have a coaching conversation, you know, how to recognize what people are doing well, uh, how to declare our intent, how to have people walk away and say, wow, I mean, that was incredibly generous that Pete shared that with me, mm-hmm. right? But, but we've got to practice it because there's a way to do it that is natural and, you know, shows that the feedback is, is loving feedback and not criticism. Sure thing. And how about these sort of extra little tidbits? What, what are some of your, your favorite examples there? Well, surprising with unexpected extras. And, and Enterprise is the master at this. All these branches had to get better, right? And so they ran a jillion experiments. You know, a cold bottle of water on a hot day. You know, going to the body shops and dealerships and bringing them ice cream, you know, or donuts, or just little ways, little experiments. And so one of the things you want to do in Huddle 10, week 10, you've got your team together. What is something that we could do for our customers that we've never done before, you know, that would delight them. Something that we could do ourselves. We don't need to get permission from, you know, a head office. And then vote on the best ideas and then go do it. You know, run a little experiment and see what happens. And it's incredibly engaging for your team. And it's, it's wonderful with customers. You know, a, a hotel guest, the housekeeper notices that they're out of toothpaste and leaves a, a little tube of toothpaste with a note. It looked like you were running out, so I left you this. I mean, imagine what the guest feels like. That little extra didn't cost anything for the hotel. And it not only made the guests feel great, the housekeeper felt great too. Right. That's cool. Could you share perhaps a couple examples of of these principles coming to life in terms of, you know, colleague to colleague? Oh my gosh. Well, to earn the loyalty of our coworkers, the same principles apply. And when organizations are that they want to engage their employees, you know, one of the challenges that people like Gallup report is that the lower you go in the organization, the lower the employee engagement, the higher the turnover. And we know that the difference between a good and a great experience often comes down to how the people on the front line are treating us, whether it's, you know, in face to face or on the phone or online. And so recognizing that the front line is is the lowest paid and oftentimes the least trained and has lots of challenges with retention, it is vitally important that the leaders are living these principles. My friend Shep Hyken often says the customer experience rarely exceeds the employee experience. So we have to first earn the fierce loyalty of our teammates, of our employees. They've got to be excited about coming to work. They've got to say, I'd recommend this place to work to all of my friends. And then that carries over to how the customers feel, which then drives the sales that we all want. And finally, the bottom line profits. But it's got to happen in that order. Perfect. Sandy, tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? What I would say is this is basic stuff that you did learn in kindergarten. But you got to create space. You got to create 15 minutes a week. Almost every mission statement I've ever seen mentions customers and how important they are. I mean, it's hard to argue your customers aren't important, right? 
But but if they're so important and they're the cornerstone of the mission statement, then we ought to be able to carve out 15 minutes each week to celebrate the people who are living these things that are creating our customer promoters and to also talk about what these principles and practices mean and how to apply them, you know, what the challenges are to, to be generous, to be more responsible, to have empathy, to follow up, all these things we've been talking about. That It sounds great, but let's talk for a few minutes about how I can actually do that on this team. And we're in a call center, we're on the phone all day, and, you know, I'm being held to this two-minute timeline for the length of calls. You know, how am I supposed to do this? And so we want to create space to have these conversations to help organizations get better. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of my favorite quotes is, no risk it, no biscuit. It's uh, (laughs) very simple. But I find that what gets in the way of us, all of us, in doing these things that that make sense is, you know, there's a fear that, oh, it may not work or it may not be received well. You know, we've got to make the choice to, to go out on a limb to try these things, to run these huddles. Uh, we've had so many organizations, um, you know, at first maybe have questions about, well, will our people really do this? Um, we had a, a chain of auto repair stores and they said, now, let me get this right. You're expecting uh, these guys that work under the hood of cars and trucks all day to get together and talk about empathy and generosity <laughs> and responsibility. And I said, well, let's see if any of them are interested. And a group of 20 said, we're, we want to go do this. Let us go do this in our stores. And over six months, Pete, we were, we were measuring their customer service scores while they were running these huddles. They increased their customer service scores by an average of 10 points. Three of these 20 stores increased their scores by 20 points. And they said, you know what? This is the most fun 15 minutes of our week. That's cool. You know, we're celebrating each other and we're talking about how to bring this stuff to life. You know, the simple idea is put everyone into a position to enrich other people's lives. These principles allow that to happen. Awesome. Now, could you share with us a favorite study? Something that you found enlightening. Tell me what you mean by a favorite study. Oh, like an experiment or a bit of research? Just sort of think. I think some of the research that's really come to my mind are the things that we have learned, the link between customer service scores and growth and profitability in the business. You know, we often get asked to quantify what on the surface sounds obvious. You know, if we get better at customer service, of course the business will grow faster and we'll make more money. But CEOs often say, yeah, prove it. <laughs> I remember one chain that we were working with, they had 3,500 stores, and we were measuring their employee engagement and also their customer service. And the CEO said, well, I've done a little analysis of my, of my own, and I'm not seeing a strong correlation between the employee engagement scores you're giving me and the customer service scores you're giving me across our 3,500 stores. And I thought, uh-oh, well, let's see what's going on here. And one of the guys on our team, Dick Renekamp, said, well, I'll tell you what. Let's add another question to the employee engagement survey to find out if those store teams actually know their customer service scores. Because, Pete, here was the theory. People play harder when they're keeping score. I mean, Mm -hmm. look at the kids on the playground. As soon as you start keeping score, the game gets a lot more fierce and interesting, right? If the people in the store don't even know their customer service score for the store, they're not really playing the game of improving customer service. All right. Mm -hmm. So we found out that of all those stores... 40% of the store teams had a very clear idea of what their customer service score was. 60% had no idea what it was. And guess what? The correlation between employee engagement and customer service was excellent 
in the stores that actually knew their customer service scores. But in the stores that were clueless about their customer service scores, of course, there was no correlation between employee engagement and customer service because they weren't really playing. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you yeah, it's love, like, yeah, yeah, you, you could can love, love your job, job <laughs> but not <laughs> but be focused on customers. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> it's like this guy keeps getting in the way. We're having, we're telling some great jokes, and this guy keeps interrupting this customer over here. Uh, oh, thank you. Exactly. And how about a favorite book? Oh my gosh, I am rereading the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Have you heard of that book? Oh, very much. <laughs> yeah. I remember reading it, gosh, in like 1990 and, um, or whatever. And I am rereading it now because I find so many of those, those habits, uh, incredibly important and in the effectiveness of our team. And how about like, a favorite tool? So, oh, look, sorry, rewind. Like be proactive. I mean, I just think that's, I, I know Stephen Covey starts with this idea of, you know, being proactive and, you know, carrying your own weather and not looking to blame other people for what's going on in your, in your domain. But, you know, it it takes good reminding every day to go back to the Viktor Frankl, you know, insight from the Holocaust that the ultimate human freedom is is that gap between stimulus and response. And you get to decide how you feel about how other people are treating you. And that's, that's a very powerful insight that that, that's worth revisiting. Mm -hmm. But you were asking about a favorite tool. Oh, yes. It's something you use to be awesome at your job. Gosh, what, what tool could I not live without? Uh, Google Maps. That's how I find my, my way everywhere. Absolutely. And how about a favorite habit? A favorite of the habits, of, of Stephen's habits? They could be Stephen's or yours. I think sharpening the saw. I think this idea of constantly learning uh, outside of the domain that we spend most of our lives to get other perspectives. And it's, I love when Steve Jobs talked about you know connecting the dots between, he said, for example, you know, we have these uh, movable fonts because of some class he dropped into when he was just you know, taking classes this is after he dropped out of college and, and, and just connecting the dots between different things. It just, it helps us to be more effective in, in the work we do every day. It also makes work every day more interesting. And is there a particular nugget you share in your book or with clients that really seems to connect and resonate with them and they repeat it back to you? I think the gist that people come back to us with is this idea about putting people into position to enrich other lives. And it's really around trusting them. Think about the organizations today that don't trust their employees. You know, they, they say, you know what, we're going to give you a script. We're going to put you on a time clock. You know, you have to live in this tiny little box. Rob Markey at Bain talks about, you know, giving your people freedom within a defined framework. I mean, that's certainly what enterprise did. I mean, the boundaries were well-defined, but we gave them a lot of freedom within those boundaries. And I'll, I'll give you some examples. I mean, American Express completely changed how they managed their call centers when they said, we're going to throw out the scripts, we're going to throw out the time clock. Your job is to create promoters. And it not only made the card member happier, it made the employees a lot happier. I mean, now this job is fun. You know, Tony Shea at Zappos totally has that insight. You made them happy, okay? And, uh, you know, he's got the crazy story that somebody calls up and looking for a pair of shoes that Zappos doesn't even sell, but they fulfilled the sale anyway. Southwest Airlines, hey, look, these are the rules. You have to, by FAA guidelines, tell people about these things. Now, if you choose to sing it or do it as part of a comedy routine, hey, more power to you. So I, I think one of the real keys to earning that fierce employee loyalty and customer loyalty that everybody wants is we got to trust our people. we got to let them use their natural gifts and abilities within a broad framework. you got to have guidelines, but within these guidelines, go for it and have fun. Beautiful.
And Sandy, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? They can certainly come to frankencovey.com and they can come to my LinkedIn page. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? My final challenge is take a look at these principles. Try it. Say, I'm going to invest 10 or 15 minutes a week. I'm going to run this play. I'm going to run this for 11 weeks and see whether I feel differently about the work I do and whether coming to work every day is more fun, whether it has more meaning. Beautiful. Well, Sandy, this has been a treat. Uh, thanks so much for, for taking this time and, and sharing the, the good word. I wish you much luck and loyalty and fun in all your adventures. Pete, thank you so much. Boy, the thing that really stuck with me in this conversation was how a practice that I follow is is something that a great business leader equates to stealing. And it really got me thinking. And so that was the part of the conversation where I said, oh, well, hey, after you ask them for their feedback and they tell you it's really awesome, you say, hey, could you fill out the survey? It's like, oh, no, 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 that'll get you fired. And that's like taking cash out of the cash box. And, and I see Sandy's point there with regard to, okay, you don't actually care about me at all. You just care about you and your survey and your promotion and how you look at your own internal metrics. And, and thanks a lot for sort of ruining that moment where it felt like you really cared about me and my input and opinions and and experience uh, when it's really all about you, 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 and selfish. So, so I totally get that, how as I play that conversation out in my mind, yeah, I might feel that way as a customer. And at the same time, I'm, I'm thinking, I've had a number of email exchanges with some of you listeners in which you say awesome things about the show. It's like, oh, cool, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I do. I'm genuinely appreciative and I, I like that feedback. And then sometimes I'll also ask, would you feel comfortable sharing your perceptions more broadly on uh, an iTunes review or sort of out there into the world. And so I hope I didn't make anybody feel like, oh, you don't actually really care about my input at all. You just want your, your great iTunes reviews because that's not the case. I mean, you don't have to put one up at all if you'd rather not. And I didn't mean to put you in that position. And I'm wondering if there are some meaningful distinctions because I get no compensation you know, associated with the iTunes review maybe very indirectly, if someone reads it and decides to subscribe, that would increase listenership over time and and sponsorship dollars as a result over the long haul. Anyway, Sandy got me thinking. And so I, I think that's pretty good when you find yourself provoked and, and thinking about how you might need to change some of your behaviors and, and maybe I need to change some of mine. So if you've got feedback on that point, I'd love to hear it. Pete at awesome at your job.com as I continue to wrestle with that a little bit internally. So great stuff from Sandy sticks with me, gets me thinking, hope it's doing the same for you. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP438. And I hope you'll push subscribe if you haven't already. Our next guest, it's David Green. He is talking about how to identify opportunities and he is a master at it. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.